Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Pack your saddlebags, varmints. It's time for the Triple Threat Theater Podcast, episode 87, The Young West. My name is Ryan Miller. I'm Jody Axberger. Here for them hooting and hollering posses and <laughs> stagecoach robberies. Man, and Gatling guns, six shooters. Uh, yeah, we're talking westerns. We sure are, Mills. Uh, to my recollection, the only western we've talked about before was uh, Rio Bravo, once upon uh, a time, long ago. Surprisingly enough, yeah, I think you're right. To the point that I know at some point we got together and we're like, we need to come up with some Western themes. So, <laughs> yeah, there's like a spot in our big old list of uh, trios of movies to potentially turn into episodes where the like, eight of them in a row are all Western trios. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there are some absolute heaters in that list. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of ground to cover there, but uh, specifically... The concept behind this one, the reason it's called the Young West, is because these are all relatively recent Western films, all made within just squeaking in with one of them uh, the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. So uh, from 2003, we have Open Range. From 2007, we have the 310 to Yuma remake. And from 2008, we have Appaloosa. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought I had seen Appaloosa before, but I was getting it confused with a movie called The Proposition. Interesting. So uh, the only one of these I had seen was 310 to Yuma. And I feel like this is like the fifth or sixth time I've seen that one. Uh, Interestingly enough, close to exact same scenario for me. Um, I don't think I was aware of Open Range as a movie. I don't think. Um, I know I'd heard of Appaloosa, but couldn't tell you who was in it. Mm-hmm. I think I maybe would have known that um, Vigo was in there. Yeah. But not really the rest. And 310 to Yuma, I saw it in the theater. Um, I've owned it on Blu-ray for a real long time. So much so that it's my Blu-ray is packed to the gills with the previews, which makes me crazy. <laughs> And yeah, I've watched it a few times over the years. Yeah. Maybe not quite six, but definitely this could be like my fourth time watching it. Yeah. I feel like just coincidentally I've owned it a bunch or watched it a bunch. And similar to you, I've owned it for a long time as well. Like I think I saw it in the theater for sure. Brian and I saw it back when it came out. Owned it on DVD. (laughs) I want to say I might have like given the DVD to somebody like... I want to say I gave the DVD to my grandfather, and then I bought the Blu-ray. Nice. So I've owned it a couple times, and uh, I remember like when I was phasing out, starting to phase out uh, DVDs in my collection, 
couple years ago now. Uh, I made like a big stack of them to rewatch before I like decided to get rid of them or if I wanted to replace them. And 310 to Yuma was one of them. And then like a couple years ago, I watched the original 310 to Yuma and then I rewatched this for like comparison's sake. Uh, See, so yeah, I've watched this movie quite a few times over the years. And then nice. Open Range, all I really knew about it was it was a Kevin Costner movie and my dad loves it. Uh, my dad is a huge Kevin Costner fan in general, like Dances with Wolves is one of his favorite movies. Hmm. And um, because he's watched it so many times and talked about it, I knew at least, you know, I had heard from him that it had like a spectacular final shootout action scene. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was anticipating that, and I guess we'll discuss whether or not that uh, came to pass or not. But uh, yeah, Appaloosa turns out I really didn't know anything about it going in. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I got to kick it with Big Kurt one of these days <laughs> after all these years because yeah. I don't know if. I'd be curious to see what Kevin Costner films align with my uh, shared love of Mr. Costner. But yeah, just have to add to the list of things I got to do in Maryland. Well, you watched uh, Yellowstone, right? Oh yeah. My my dad just got into that recently. Oh really? Even as a super fan, he's just watching it now. Yeah, I'm not sure if he didn't know what it was, or I guess it just came to like a new channel or streaming service or oh. something. It's playing on normal cable now because of the whichever strike. Yeah. They started putting like premiere shows on regular TV to get some money coming in. That's probably why or how he has suddenly gotten to watch it. Yeah. For some reason, a uh, quick sidebar, it's like a pain in the ass to watch um, Yellowstone. Like if you don't have maybe like the Paramount Network. Because, like, you can, like, old seasons will be on, I don't know, Peacock, and the latest season is only on, like, Paramount Plus that you pay for or something. It's mm. very odd setup, so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I have uh, subscriptions to both of those, either of my own accord or, you know, through friends sharing their passwords with me. But, I mean, I bought my parents a... Uh, an Apple TV a couple years ago, and I still feel like my father really doesn't know how to use it. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, back to the point. Uh, so, just westerns in general, uh, where are you at? Um, probably came up when we watched um, Rio Bravo, Rio Bravo, which we enjoyed, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, not a ton, definitely not a lot of old westerns. Um, I absolutely adore Tombstone, which I've seen a bunch of times. Watched it potentially randomly as a kid, and I've probably seen it ten times since. Like, really love that one. So it's more like the modern era westerns for me, but not a ton. You know, I've seen the Man With No Name trilogy. Mm -hmm. Joel got me on that years back, but I was definitely like an adult when I watched those and enjoyed them. But i only only seen them once, so I would actually like to... Revisit those. Um, yeah, aforementioned Tombstone. Butch Cassidy. Seen that. Enjoyed that. Yeah, 310 to Yuma, I think just at the time I was like pumped to see that. Really like Christian Bale and... Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe, of course. So actually, you know, I really like was a fan of Ben Foster too at the time. So there's a... It's 
newer than these, but uh, Hostiles, which Christian Bale's also in, mm-hmm. is a uh, Western too, which is fantastic, which I would definitely uh, recommend to many. Yep, seen that one. So, good handful, but I would say not a ton. I'm certainly not a connoisseur. Like, I wish I would be, because let me tell you, Western's fucking rock. You got Turner Classic Movies over there? Um, No. I'd probably have to pick up a signal from an old folks home or something. TCM is your friend. <laughs> I've seen a lot of Westerns through that, but I mean, my dad's always been a fan of Western movies. Growing up, I watched like uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Some like miscellaneous kind of sort of, well, not obscure, but like a little off the beaten path stuff. Like one of his favorites is The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. So we had that on VHS and I watched that when I was a kid. Uh Got big into the spaghetti Western stuff when I got my Netflix account back in the mid to late aughts and saw like all the, you know, the Clint Eastwood stuff and a bunch of um, uh, Lee Van Cleef and things like that. Okay. Caught a lot of random things, like I say, on Turner Classic Movies over the year. Uh, There's one that I am a big fan of with Jimmy Stewart that I feel like nobody else talks about called Fire Creek that I think he's really good in. But yeah, there's just like a ton of them out there. I've I've seen a ton, but there's still a billion that I haven't seen. Right. But uh, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm at all times trying to watch a million things. Of course. Will I ever get around to all the Westerns I want to see? Probably not, but... uh... I got too many shitty Vinegar Syndrome movies I have to make my way through, thanks to my subscription. But I would love to see them, once they move on from like uh, Kung Fu martial arts movies, to go to Westerns. <laughs> I want more of them in my life after this episode. Yeah. Vincent's put out a few, but not many. There's that, there's that two-pack with uh, Hot Snake and I think it's called like Guns and Guts or something like that. I mean, en- endless good names out there, too. Yeah, well, once you get into the Italian movies, for sure. Oh, forget it. I mean, just like the Django and the Sartana films alone have like some of the longest and best titles ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, J- uh, I think one of the Sartanas is called Sartana's Coming, Trade Your Gun for a Coffin. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't get better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those Italians, they know how to name a movie. And I tend to not like the title of things to be a sentence, unless it's a... It's Unless like it's a, a translated Italian yeah, title. Exactly. It's a Jallo or yeah. a Spaghetti Western. <laughs> For sure. Um, I'm kind of the same, weirdly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, again, just, I don't know, there's a simpler time aspect to Westerns. It's really like kind of a clear, more often than not, it feels like clear, like good versus evil, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a, and it doesn't have to be like that complicated. And I think that's why I love it. Like I've come to... But I think I like less and less movies that take, especially like genre kind of stuff that take place in the modern time. I either want like sci-fi movies or things in the past recently. So this is just playing into kind of what I'm looking for lately. Mm-hmm. You know, I just need like, give me a surly old lawman, uh, you know, maybe like a reformed gunslinger, you know? Yeah. Small town, big shootout at the end. Like there's a formula there that... They could stick to it every time, and I think I'd be perfectly fine with it. And they mostly do, I feel. Well, yeah. Sign me <laughs> up. All right. Ready to dive into our movies here? Yes, please. All right. To begin, we have Open Range from 2003. I've got a warrant sworn out for your arrest for assaulting Baxter's men. We got a warrant sworn for attempted murder for them that tried to kill the boy 
who's laying over there at the docks trying to stay alive, swore out another one for them that murdered the big fellow you had in your cell. Only ours ain't writ by no tin star bought and paid for, Marshal. It's writ by us. And we aim to enforce it. Is that so? We got no quarrel with none of you folks. Baxter's men bushwhacked our friend, shot him dead. Shot a 16-year-old boy, too, and clubbed him so hard, he might not live. Tried to take our cattle. Your marshal here ain't gonna do nothing about it. You don't like free grazers in this town. We don't much like being here, but a man's got a right to protect his property and his life. And we ain't let no rancher or his lawman take either. We got no intention of harming bystanders. Anyone who helps or comforts these goddamn law-breaking free grazers is gonna have to deal with me. Your call, Marshal. We don't have to settle this here and now. You ain't going nowhere in this weather. But I'll be seeing you gents real soon. You can count on that. Uh, this is one of the few films directed by Kevin Costner. And uh, written by a guy named Craig Stormer, who when I looked him up, he's written basically nothing else. <laughs> Oh, this is based on a novel from 1990 called The Open Range Men by a writer named Lauren Payne. That is a man. I didn't write down what his name originally was, but he changed his name to Lauren at some point. I think it was originally like Lawrence or something. Okay. But one of the most interesting things I found in my research before we even talk about the movie is this writer (laughs) who I had never heard of before. But uh, Kevin Costner has said that he grew up reading the Western novels of Lauren Payne, who wrote over 1,000 books in his career. Goddamn. Many were Westerns, uh, but he also wrote stuff like romance, science fiction, and mystery novels, and a couple of nonfiction books about the Old West or military history. I think he wrote a couple of biographies. And um, back in the day when he started writing... I guess published from what I was reading, publishers would only accept so many books under a single author's name. I don't know if they were like worried about flooding the market or something. Mm -hmm. So he was so prolific that he adopted numerous pseudonyms, including Mark Carroll, John Kilgore, Clay Allen, A.A. Andrews, Dennis Archer, John Armour, Carter Ashby, Harry Beck, Will Benton, Frank Bosworth, Concho Bradley, Claude Cassidy, Clint Custer, James Glenn, Will Houston, Troy Howard, Cliff Ketchum, Clint O'Connor, Jim Slaughter, Buck Standish, and many others. Damn. How many fucking aliases can one person have? Millsy, if the man's going to hold you down and say you can't keep selling us these books, I mean. Just imagine having written 1,000 books in your career. I'm out. Lucky I wrote 1,000 words. (laughs) And then the other, like, kind of surprising thing is, you know, Kevin Costner made one of his books into a movie, but only one of his, one other book of his has been made into a movie. I I forgot to write it down, but it was, it's a pretty old one. But you'd think with that many, you know, a couple of others might have gotten a shot. But seriously, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't expecting all that. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I just, as I was reading the list of names, I was just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but yeah, so um, basically in this film, you've got Kevin Costner, Robert Duvall, a young Diego Luna, and an actor named Abraham Ben Ruby. And they are four cattle drivers just out on the range, you know, driving their cattle. And uh, through a series of events, they end up having to go to this small town to get, like, provisions. One thing leads to another, and uh, a local rancher who doesn't like free grazers, which these guys are, uh, starts like a feud between them. A couple people die, and then before you know it, there's people out for vengeance. Mm-hmm. Now, were you familiar at all with the concept of like free grazing and whatnot? No, no, God, no. So I don't know a lot about this, but as you and I discussed recently, I am, I, I'm almost caught up as we record this with every single episode of the Dollop Podcast, which Brian and his wife Kim turned me on to a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. which is an American history podcast, and it's also humor-based. But uh, I feel like just through listening to 600 episodes of this show about American history, I've picked up all these little tidbits about stuff that I never knew about before. And I know there's been a couple episodes about this where, like, uh, you know, once upon a time back in the olden days in America before we had, like, really established cities and like just houses and property was like so spread out. It was just kind of a given that if you had cattle, they needed to graze. And so what free grazing meant was it was like by law, your, you, your cattle could go anywhere. Like you could graze on other people's property because again, back then it was not unusual for people to have like gigantic patches of land with Mm. no fences. And there weren't like a lot of established roads and, like nobody at a glance knew whether they were trespassing on someone's property or not. And, you know, over time as the American West became more populous and there were more people out there and, and whatnot, um, and people started like growing crops and things. And then the cattle would sort of, you know, destroy the crops. It started to become this point of contention where some people like didn't want, cows from and animals from somebody else's like property or land on theirs and so that's when people started like fencing in their property and there's a whole episode of the dollop that i really love about the invention of barbed wire which was Mm. intended to keep cattle specifically out of people's like pastures because the cows would just like push down regular wooden fences so they needed (laughs) something that would like hurt the cows to stop them from like going through the fence or whatever and amazing. But yeah, it was this also this thing where it was just like free grazing and this whole like wide open American West was this thing that had been established and around for so long that with quote unquote progress and, you know, people, you know, fencing off their land and whatever, uh, it was like a, a hot topic in politics back in the day, like during the era of this movie in the American West, of whether it was legal to free graze. And I guess, you know, it would, some states would outlaw it and other ones wouldn't. And so, yeah, this guy, this rancher, who's like the richest guy in town in this movie, you know, I guess he, he's like bought up all the land and is utilizing it for his own cows. And he doesn't want like other people on the property, even though according to the characters in the movie, where this film takes place, it is still legal for the free grazing, but like, 
you know, they say, I think at one point in this one that, uh, even if they like call, a a marshal or something, it'll take them like a week to get there. Mm-hmm. So it's like, who's really enforcing these laws? And, you know, that's how in a lot of these Western movies, I think you get the like one rich bastard who's like got the law under his thumb and is in charge of everything. And so there's your mini sort of probably somewhat inaccurate history. Lesson. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it sounds in relation to the movie, it sounds accurate because you got this uh, rotten bastard Irishman who doesn't care what the laws are. And uh, I feel like that fits even just like the, the saying of like something being like the wild west, very fast and loose with the rules and the laws. I'll yeah. say, cause, and they, uh, they definitely get into it, which I thought was, uh, very interesting. I also, uh, before I forget, just want to mention, cause you mentioned actors in the movie. Never would have guessed his name, not with a gun to my head or a million dollars on the line. Would I have known that particular, that guy actor's name was Abraham Ben Ruby. Mm-hmm. So, Anyone that's seen the movie or looks him up, I've seen him in a, dozens of things, but yeah, never knew his name. I don't really know if I knew him. I mean, I looked really? him up. Yeah, like, is there is there one specific thing you can think of that you, like, really know him from? I have to, or? like, look. No, it's, like, just, he's a definitely a that guy actor to me. Yeah, like, like when I looked him up, because I usually look up a lot of the key players if I'm not fully aware of them. I, I wrote down just a couple of the bigger titles that he's in. George of the Jungle, which I've never seen. And he mm-hmm. did a voice in Big Hero 6, but obviously I wouldn't recognize him sure, sure. physically from that. But, I mean, chances are I've seen him before, but didn't. I mean, a bunch of TV stuff, you know, little things. Like he's in the program, which is that football movie I feel like we talked about ourselves recently. Random things. He's in Twister. He's Bubba in Twister. He's mm-hmm. in The Shadow. Um, yeah, he's, you know, X-Files. He's kind of like the all the t- the random TV Buffy. I mean, he's like in a yeah. bunch of stuff. I just know I've seen him a ton of times. So, okay. Yeah. For me, it was more like the beginning of the movie. They've got this young kid with them, uh, that they call button. And I'm like, man, this guy looks familiar. Who is he? And I actually had to look it up to realize, Oh shit, that's fucking Diego Luna. He's Andor <laughs> from Andor. Rogue yeah. One and the Andor. I show. caught that was him, but at this far and away has to be the oldest thing I've ever seen him in for sure. Yeah. It's just a case of like, you know, he's a kid in this and I'm looking at him. I'm just like, I know who the fuck this is, but who is this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that was a cool to see. Great cast. Um, you know, Kim Coates, you were familiar with him too. Maybe a, that guy actor, but uh, yeah, I know that he was in uh, sons of anarchy from the like one season that I watched of that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, like, you know, no, like I, I knew that he was in this, like I must have seen his name in the cast or something. So watching the movie and they're talking about this like really dangerous gunslinger that the rancher has working for him. And then you see Kim Coates late in the movie and he's like real cocky. And I'm like, oh man, he's going to mm-hmm. be like this major bad guy, right. which is why I thought it was kind of cool when the first guy Kevin Costner takes out is him, just pops him once in yep. the head and he's out. I loved it. He's hardly in the movie. <laughs> I absolutely loved that because I, I caught his name in the credits and I was like, oh, sweet. I was like, is he going to be a grimy, you know, cowboy? Because I just expected that from characters he plays. Same exact thing. When he showed up, he had his arm in the sling. I was like, oh, fuck yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, because they make a big deal about uh, the character's name is Mose, the uh, the big dude, Abraham, that we were talking about. 
early in the movie, it's mentioned that he broke this guy's arm and they talk about him throughout the movie. And at one point they're like talking about how he's a gunslinger and, you know, is he going to be any good because his arm is broken? They're like, he can shoot with either arm. So <laughs> you're really expecting yeah. like, oh, this guy's going to be a yeah. badass. <laughs> yep. Yeah. They dispatched him quick. I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, I had such a blast with this movie. I got to say. Uh, yeah, I um, you know, I didn't know a ton about it going in, aside from like I said, just I heard that it had a good uh, action scene at the end. Um, it's westerns are like sports movies and some other genres where one, if you just like kind of broadly describe it, is almost the same as like a billion others, and and it, like it's not even like there's anything that incredible like visually about this movie, but just. You know, it's well written and it has, you know, a lot of tropey characters, but just like characters that you become endeared towards. And yeah. And I think that's just Westerns because it's like that's just how those characters were. And I just love it. Yeah. I do think it looked great because, you know, clearly this is just shot on location. There's like some amazing shots of like mountains in the background. And yeah, I mean, in, in a lot of Westerns, there's a lot of easy wins because they're yeah. just shooting in like gorgeous locations. Oh, yeah. Not great. to take anything away from it, but. Well, of course, it's like easy pickings probably, but. Um... Yeah. And like a lot of Westerns as well. I mean, there's so many of them where it's about like this small town that's like, like I said, under the thumb of one rich asshole. Mm-hmm. Like I just mm-hmm. recently rewatched uh the quick and the dead for the first time in a long time and i mean that movie it's same thing with gene hackman is like the rich asshole in town and yes yeah see, i got to see that one too yeah like some kind of uh mysterious stranger comes along and you know you know by the end basically what's going to happen but yeah it's just i mean they do a good job of like you know slowly turning the screw and having these characters like kind of beaten down and downtrodden and you just like know something's coming and it just keeps getting like more and more tense until finally at the end it pops off and yeah so good uh yeah the the ending the the big climactic shootout i was again i was kind of anticipating it so like when it first happens like i said uh kim coates is the first guy to get it um and then it's like everybody's just shooting and it seems like most of the bad guys go down almost immediately i was like don't tell me that's it don't tell me it was all building up and they like pull the rug out from under you like no it's not some big dramatic thing it's just it's over in a flash but i mean it does go on from there and it does it is a good and lengthy oh it's awesome yeah Yeah. action sequence they empty a lot of bullets playing people good guys bad guys get shot yeah as they should you know because these crazy maniacs will just blast off on each other from five feet away <laughs> yeah which i love i mean yeah one interesting thing i read about the the action in the end as well is uh one reviewer at the time because this was 2003 commented that in the wake of the matrix everybody was doing like slow motion and bullet time and trying to be super cool and it was like a breath of fresh air that kevin costner just like played it straight and there was like no mm-hmm. fancy editing or anything like that Yep, just like old-fashioned blanks and squibs and yeah, all the goods. I will say, too, this one, more than the other two, uh, I did watch this first, and I got to tell you, I absolutely loved seeing, like, either scatter gun shots or even some gunshots, you know, like, knocking dudes back, like, four mm-hmm. feet and, like, through a wall, <laughs> all that. I was just like, yeah, yeah I'm, that's, I'm here for this. That's, like, the thing that it does in place of, like, cool slow-mo or, like, people diving out of the way while they're shooting or whatever is, like, uh, that part where 
Robert Duvall has been hit and he's like hiding in this little building and there's a bad guy creeping along outside and you can kind of, cause it's like an old, you know, wooden Western building. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. kind of see the guy between the slats of the wall a little bit and he's like creeping up on Kevin Costner. So Robert Duvall like shoots him through the wall with the shotgun and it just like blasts him hard back against oh, the, like so the building next door. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, mix of just like good sound editing with like the yep. the huge gun blasts and like just the actual impact of people being hit. I mean, another good one is when um, towards the end of the gunfight, one of the straggler bad guys takes uh, Annette Benning's character hostage <laughs> and yep. Kevin Costner sneaks up behind him. And it's like the whole town, like he has this dark past that most people don't know about. And the whole town kind of views him and Robert Duvall as like, these are kind of our saviors coming to take out the uh, the greedy bastard who's like in charge of the town. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even though people are like killing one another, I think they view them as these like saints almost. And then because Kevin Costner has the hots for Annette Benning when he kills that guy, he fucking brutalizes him in front of the whole group of people. Mm-hmm. Just like puts three rounds in him. Yeah. Up against it's like that you building. don't. And I, a thing I love about Westerns too is like, I feel like anything goes like anyone could die at any time. Like you never know for sure, like who's going to get it or not. So even mm-hmm. then that scene, it's like, you know, Kevin Costner's like circling him and they're just in this alleyway. And I, the whole time I'm just like, what, what could, what could, what is going to happen? Like, I didn't necessarily feel like Kevin Costner's definitely going to walk away from this one or, or anyone really. Yeah. So I admittedly was a little surprised how many, like, pretty much everybody that you care about survives except for Moe's, who dies in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, when um, Diego Luna's character, Button, he he gets, like, shot and hit on the head really early in the movie, and he spends most of his time in the doctor's house, and they're, like, not sure if he's going to pull through or whatever. And then at the end, when it's, like, desperate times, and it's, like, a couple people against this whole freaking gang of bad dudes, and Button, like, gets out of his hospital bed basically and walks out into the street in like a you know nightgown kind of thing with just a pistol i was like god he's gonna get it now and uh, i was a little surprised he made it through (laughs) oh yeah for sure i thought he was dead in the street there yeah i was sure robert duvall was gonna die because he got shot in the gunfight i was i was sure that just because he was so likable that michael jeter the the dude from uh uh, green mile was gonna die Mm. who was in charge Mm -hmm. of the, the livery oh yeah but yeah, pretty much everybody you want to survive, for the most part, does. Yeah, and uh, Baxter got it, and the sheriff got it. The sheriff, whoever played the sheriff, was like a real right bastard, which I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I was uh, glad when he got it, too. Yeah. But yeah, this one, all in all, I had a total blast watching it. And again, like I said earlier, you could say there's a formula to these movies, and I think I'm personally personally perfectly happy with them following it (laughs) when it's this good and this entertaining Mm -hmm. no i agree and it does feel kind of classic uh which i think probably a lot of that you can chalk up to kevin costner and his kind of sensibilities but i don't know just in you know reading about all these western movies and kind of getting into a little bit on like wikipedia uh, i was reading about this idea that you know once upon a time Western movies, especially back in the day when you didn't have, you know, extreme violence and whatnot the way that you do nowadays, 
that a lot of Western movies, the majority of them, in fact, were kind of these idyllic situations where there was this clearly defined good and bad, like you kind of spoke about. And um, there's always this hero coming in and saving everybody. And that in recent years, there's been kind of this, they call it the revisionist Western, where people are trying to make films that don't... uh, you know, play up how perfect everything allegedly was. Because again, listening to like the dollop podcast and learning more about that time period, everything just sounds abysmal and it sounds like life was hard and it sucked. Yeah. And people were shitty and you could just like die of the stupidest little things at any given moment. And even, you know, adding in this little darkness to, uh, uh, Kevin Costner's characters past where he, was it? He, he was in, the Civil War yeah. and was like part of a group that just like went around and just like murdered a bunch of people. And he, anyway, he has this like really dark past and it's trying to show, I guess that he's not just this like perfect gunslinger who strolls into town. And I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty light. It's not like really heavy handed with that stuff, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I just, th- I just thought that was interesting that, in a manner of speaking, like there's definitely a degree of that in 310 to Yuma, which we'll talk about shortly. Yeah. Um, just about like, you know, how shitty things are for Christian Bale's character. And, <laughs> right. and right. it's honestly the same thing a little bit in Appaloosa, which we'll talk about uh, concerning Renee Zellweger's character. And, you know, she's not just this perfect concubine. <laughs> sure, sure. But I don't know. I found that kind of interesting. There's, mm-hmm. there's, more that I can read about that subject and probably see some other examples, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. I dig it. Robert Duvall was the only person Kevin Costner considered for the role of Boss Spearman and has said that if he'd turned down the part, he may not have made the movie. Mm. Interesting. And the studio wanted to give Kevin Costner top billing, but he insisted on giving it to Robert Duvall, which is cool. stayed up guy right there. Yeah. And uh, the film was released posthumously after the death of Michael Jeter, again, the the little Mm. guy from Uh Green Mile. One of the things I was most curious about with these movies was the box office, because, you know, I feel like it's a common, commonly held belief, like a thing that pretty much everybody kind of knows or has heard that part of the reason Westerns aren't made too often today is because they just don't perform that well. That's not like the kind of movies that people want to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, so this one had a $22 million budget and it made 68.3 in the box office, which ain't bad. Sure. Triple. I feel like it's probably, it was helped because of Kevin Costner. I mean, his, he's like a name. He's got his fans like my dad and the people who yeah. are fans of Kevin Costner are probably inclined to like a Western or this kind of movie. Yeah. So. Even like knowing now, it just still blows my mind that this was made in 03 because it just definitely feels like from a different time. Yeah. In in a positive way. For some reason, I thought it was more recent. Like if, you know, gun to my head before doing any research for the show, before even watching the movie, uh, just because my dad watches it so much, I don't know, maybe I would have said it was from like 2010, but... I mean, they do a pretty good job, aside from actors that you might recognize of, you know, it's not stylized in a way that would make you think it's from a certain era or whatever. So it's it's definitely made in a timeless fashion. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of this movie now. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit as well. Indeed. Movie number two. Please. All right, coming in next, we've got the remake of 310 to Yuma from 2007. You got the little bent rancher. You come to wake some snakes? Dan, would you like a drink? No, thanks. You got your horses back, didn't you? And your cattle? Yeah, I got my horses back. But you killed two of my herd. Hell, he died for a good cause. You know, them beeves of yours, they wouldn't even fit a hungry dog. I tell you what, that should cover it. How much you get for a day's work? Two dollars, wanna hire out? Well, there's two dollars for half a day. You took up my boy's time, too. You're right. I did. Anything else you want to get paid for, Dan? Give me five dollars extra. And what's that for? making me nervous directed by james mangold who has a interestingly varied career um he does and he's made quite a few things that i really enjoy yeah just for the sake of it we've got copland which you and i are both big fans of oh yeah uh girl interrupted which is a very different kind of movie that i have not seen i didn't realize he made identity which is that the um Cusack movie? Yes. It's like a bunch of people at like a hotel or something, and yep. there's like a killer, yep. and there's a... Oh, yeah. It's kind of got a post-Fight Club twist, if I remember it correctly. It does. does not feel enjoy. like it belongs in his filmography at all. Because like, no. that movie is sandwiched between Girl Interrupted and Walk the Line. <laughs> mm-hmm. no, it's Walk the Line's good stuff. I've only seen it once, but I think I remember liking it. I actually haven't seen that one myself, but I mean, I feel like everybody loves that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he made... And I may have left out a couple things here, but he made Night and Day, which also feels kind of beneath him, weirdly. But, I mean, it is a Tom Cruise movie, but its I feel like it's the most generic Tom Cruise movie to come out in the last, like, yeah, 15, probably, 20 years. Probably like that and Reacher or something. Yeah. Uh, then The Wolverine and Logan. Yep. Ford v. Ferrari and most recently Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't. Doesn't do a ton for as long as he's been around. Seemingly makes a movie like every two years or so. Yeah. And then he skipped four years between Wolverine movies. <laughs> but uh, yeah, some good stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Oddly, I was surprised by this. Written by a couple of guys named Michael Brandt and Derek Haas. The only really noteworthy thing on Michael Brandt's uh, filmography is Too Fast, Too Furious. Oof. <laughs> I wouldn't have pegged for the writer of this. And then Derek Haas also wrote Too Fast, Too Furious and Wanted, which you and I just recently discussed how much we didn't like that movie. Jeez. I mean, Too Fast, Too Furious is awful, which I think I'd have to rewatch Tokyo Drift 
But I would probably say Too Fast, Too Furious is absolutely the worst one. <laughs> I mean, the story and characters and everything are just god-awful, so I do find that very surprising. Yeah. But, you know, some of these screen, uh, you know, script writers, they can, they're like chameleons out in these streets, Millsy. Yeah, but I mean, we also have like a pre-established, you know, it, this definitely is different from the original, but... You know, they're working off of something that already has, like, a solid premise and whatnot. Yeah. And the original is, like, a single location thing, isn't it? No. Oh, it's not? It's similar to this. It's like a, you know. I thought most of the runtime was, like, in the hotel room while they're waiting for the train. No. From my recollection, I wouldn't say that. I Again, I saw the movie, like, five or six years ago, maybe now. Oh, okay. I just had that in my head that that's what it was. No, it's 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 different, but it's similar. It's the same thing where it's, like... They're in a small town, and the main character is this rancher who's, you know, having trouble monetarily, uh, happens to be there when they catch this big-time bandito or whatever, Ben Wade, and then agrees to go with them on the journey uh, to take him to meet the train to Yuma. And it is, like, a little bit of a road movie. And then, you know, there's a, there's a fair amount in the uh, the hotel towards the end. I know that one's on the shorter side from my recollection as well, but I would say, you know, very similar stories. The, some of the big differences that I can at least recall are one, instead of the main character's son tagging along, like he does in this, Mm -hmm. the wife goes along. And I don't remember the reasoning for that bold. And the other thing, and the thing that in my mind, aside from like the era and it's black and white and everything that really sets the original apart for me is that that movie is much lighter on action, whereas this one, it almost feels like they they had that thing of, like, we have to have an action beat every 20 minutes to keep people interested or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, in this version, the modern one, you don't really get into the whole psychological mind game of, like, uh, just let me go and I'll pay you more than you're going to make for, like, capturing me, like, the moral quandary. You don't really get that in this one until the very end when they're until in the, the hotel end, room yeah. and there's, like, one conversation about it. Mm-hmm. But that is the thing, like, throughout the original. Like, constantly, Ben Wade is is saying to Dan Evans, like just let me go and I'll double what they're paying you. Like, you know, what do you care if like I'm behind bars or whatever? Like I can make you rich. Like it's, so Mm -hmm. it's like more of a constant moral thing that this like downtrodden guy is like, you know, considering, or you, you think he's considering taking the money and like the stakes keep getting higher. Hmm. Interesting. That's like the big difference. And I actually really like that about the original as well, but yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds more present, but yeah. So, yeah, based on Elmer Leonard's 1953 short story of the same name, originally published in Dime Western Magazine. Oh, yeah. And preceded by the 1957 film adaptation directed by Delmer Daves and starring Glenn Ford as Ben Wade and Van Heflin as Dan Evans. Okay. So. Dig it. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people probably saw this, but basically what I said a minute ago about the original is the concept. Christian Bale... Down on his luck rancher, um, about to lose his ranch, and his family's like kind of ashamed of him. This big time criminal Ben Wade happens to get caught in town, and Christian Bale's character is there, and he basically says to the lawman who's looking for people to accompany him 
in transporting Wade to a uh, a train to take him to Yuma Prison. Uh, Christian Bale's character says to him, like, oh, if you pay me $200, then I'll I'll come and help you. Even though he's lost his leg in the Civil War and his family kind of needs him, he figures, oh, if I can get this $200, then maybe I can save my ranch. And so he feels kind of outclassed. And it's this moral thing of, you know, mm-hmm. will he go all the way? And uh, will right. he be able to be talked out of doing the right thing? Um, what's the money breakdown on this one? Budget and, and box yeah. office? Yeah. See, it sounds high to me, but $55 million budget. Okay. Box office of 71.2. So like for a Western, it made pretty good money, but because that budget's so high, it it just, it feels like it wasn't as successful as I would have thought it was. Right. I only ask like upfront because I'm just kind of curious, like the decision because it feels like a big time for russell crowe and christian bale i mean this was between like batman begins and the dark knight so i feel like christian bale is very like hot hot right at that point mm-hmm. i mean russell crowe too i mean they, i feel like they were top names so i kind of almost would have expected that would have been a big draw but. well originally uh when this remake was kind of being kicked around hollywood uh tom cruise was interested in playing ben wade and Eric Bana was apparently attached to play Dan Evans instead of Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. But um, Tom Cruise ended up dropping out of the project, and it went into turnaround. And um, at that point, Russell Crowe like, pursued the movie and was like, oh, I want that part Tom Cruise was going to play. And uh, him getting cast is what, like, I think there was like a year or two where it was like, oh, maybe the movie's not going to happen, but that got the ball rolling again. Gotcha. Yeah, I could see that happening. It's just interesting and fortuitous that uh, we're watching a Russell Crowe movie for the podcast because I, this year, you know, a couple months ago, began like an impromptu Russell Crowe marathon. And this is like my 15th Russell Crowe movie I've watched this year. <laughs> nice. Nice. But uh, what do you think of him in this one? Uh, I like him. I think he's good in the role. I really do wish, as charismatic as he is, that uh, they would have had more scenes of him and Christian Bale, like kind of like I was talking about in the original. Um, like, there's a lot of scenes where uh, uh, Russell Crowe's character is just riding Christian Bale's character about like what happened to his leg and how he lost yeah. his leg. He's like working him overall, but not so much the money part. Yeah, I, I wish that it was more of that moral quandary thing. Because at least in my memory, the Van Heflin version of the character in the original, it's like he's much less like I'm a good guy, idealistic. And so there's more of a question of how's this going to go? Maybe he will take the money and let the bad guy go. Whereas Mm -hmm. in this one, it feels like Christian Bale's character is just kind of like you never doubt that he's going to do the right thing. Uh, At least that's how I feel. And yeah, I wish I mean, that there was more of like Russell Crowe's character, like needling him about the money and like offering him outs and like, you know, trying to break his morals instead of just like bugging him about what happened to your leg. <laughs> How'd you lose your leg? Yeah, I could see like an older version being more of a psychological play versus this, like having a clear like good guy and kind of a gray area bad guy i guess because he's so charismatic but Mm -hmm. i do love all the scenes like of just them interacting i mean i don't have a frame of reference for the original so like that 
the conversation later in the movie to me just feels like a, that was like a ramping up of their whole relationship to that point, especially, you know, at the end where there's you know, the other like sheriff or whatever, they, they try to give in to the, the posse and just uh, give up and <laughs> the posse kills them anyways, right on the, yeah. the porch of the hotel. And, you know, the, uh, the railroad guy, he's throwing in the towel too. So, you know, it feels like everything, the, cards are stacked against them i definitely didn't think even when i saw it originally yeah i think just the the way movies are now i wouldn't expect it just like christian bale's gonna take the money so it's gonna follow through but to me it kind of feels like when when uh ben wade when russell crowe finally like offers him money at the very end when it's just the two of them left in the room and pretty much everybody else has abandoned christian bale's character it feels less like he's trying to buy his freedom and more like he's trying to convince Christian Bale not to get himself killed because yeah, he's got this like him. respect for him at that point. Yeah, for sure. And so it's like the same thing happening, the same conversation taking place, but with different context from what I really liked about the original. And not that it has to be a comparison. Um, I know that I keep bringing it up, but... <laughs> You do. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's this weird, like, I, I don't, I still don't really understand at the end of the movie why Russell Crowe, like, kills his entire gang. Like, he was so changed by spending, he's like a career criminal. Not to say that he's like a horrible person, like a, this terrible murderer or anything, mm-hmm. but like, he, he's so changed by spending two days with this, like, sad sack that he murders his entire gang. Like we, we never get the impression that he's going to go and stay in prison as like some kind of new moral high ground, especially because he whistles for the horse at the end. But like, yeah, he even says he's broken out of the place twice. So yeah. Are like, are we supposed to take it that, uh, he's going to break out, but he's giving up his life of crime and that's why he killed his posse or like, I still don't understand that stuff. personally. Yeah, to- to me, that just registered like his uh, Ben Foster is his right hand man, but is also like a lunatic. Yeah. Without you know, he, there's there's no like a charismatic heart of gold or anything there. Like he's a crazy person. So for sure. But to then me, like, it's Russell Crowe knew he's just you know when they both give each other that look. Like I love that bit because I think he just knows for him for Russell Crowe to get what he wants, which is he's in charge. He probably felt like he's going to have to kill all these guys and he just doesn't care. You know, he'll keep going. I mean, maybe that's it, but it doesn't read to me like, you know, I, I could buy him killing what, what do they call him? The hand of God, Charlie Prince, the, uh, the Ben Foster character. He is like a nut job, like you said, and he did personally kill Dan Evans, the Christian Bale character who Russell Crowe has like grown a fondness for over their journey. So, like, I could even see him killing Charlie, the Ben Foster Mm -hmm. character, and then, like, the other guys in the gang being confused and him getting on the train or whatever. But, like, I don't I don't under I don't know why he killed all them. It it feels kind of like sappy to me a little bit. (laughs) And I, I, I don't love that part. Like I when I first saw this movie in the theater, I really loved it. I think it was probably like a five star movie. And I feel like I've been tempered on it a little bit over time, mm-hmm. probably partially as well in the last couple of years because I've now seen the original. Not that I, you know, think that that's a 
incredible five-star movie or anything, but I, I do think it's really good. But there's definitely things about this one that I call into question more the more that I mm-hmm. watch it. And that's that's one of them to me. Like, it just, I, I just don't feel like, if there is justification for him killing the entire gang there, I feel like I've I've missed it or something. No. Um, I feel like I never, like, thought into it too much. To me, it was that, I think the point of the movie and in the end is that you want to thank Christian Bale's like, you know, his, his good deed for his family has swayed Russell Crowe to make sure his family gets the money after all that Mm -hmm. with also, but also not being like ready to kill himself. He just knows like, yeah, I'm going to break out of this prison anyway. So I think that that's the part of him, you know, going all the way. And then finally, when he just like kills off the gang, I think it's, in that split second, he probably just knows he has to, for him to go all the way with what he's trying to do. It's just they they can't stick around. Hmm. So not so much. It didn't really necessarily feel like Russell Crowe is angry with Ben Foster for killing Christian Bale. I don't even think it's that. I think it's more just his like. I don't even know if it's a moral high ground to say like he's he's made his decision what he's going to do and no one's going to stop him, even his own gang and. He'll get a he'll get a new gang. This is kind of just how I always thought of it, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Like it, it definitely could be that. Uh, for whatever reason, yeah. I like where I'm at mentally thinking about the movie. It's it's harder for me to swallow. Whereas, like again, I I I kind of understand him killing Ben Foster because he's such a loose cannon. But even so, I feel like he could have shot him and then told the gang like. Uh, you know, don't come after me or something like that, yeah. or I'll meet you guys later. Right. Or, or even not killed Ben Foster's character and just been like, told him to get lost at that point. I'm getting on the train. I don't know. I mean, probably just for the sake of, you know, being a movie and not a real life. Yeah. I mean, it's probably just more exciting for him to off everybody. Yeah. I mean, maybe <laughs> if know? they baked in earlier in the movie, more of a feeling of like, He's done with this life. You get the tiniest hint of that uh, right before he gets captured when he's with the uh, the girl the who works bartender. at the bar. Yeah, and he like they're alone in the room, and he says like, uh, you know, come come down to Mexico with me. I'm not wanted down there. And then she laughs it off like, haha, yeah, right. You're never gonna give up this uh, like life of crime. And he's got this look on his face like, oh, I actually meant it, but. Mm. Like yeah, if be. they if they had played on that a little more, I feel like it would have helped it helped it make more sense to me in the end that maybe even without saying it, he's planning on like giving up the life of crime and maybe he is just gonna kill off his gang and go down to Mexico and just live with whatever mm. money he's got or something. And mm-hmm. that is, I still think, one way to interpret it, but it's just it's kind of vague and it feels yeah. like jarring to me when that stuff happens right at the end. I mean, I guess you could say open for interpretation. Absolutely it is. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I do love when he's, they both just give each other that just like squinted look and then they fire off on each other. I always <laughs> like that. Yeah. I thought that was great. Yeah, that's a good moment for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, fan of this movie, this is going to sound odd. This is one of my, I think my favorite movie titles, 310 to Yuma. Yeah. I just love it. I can remember like hearing about it and just be like, that, that's so much like storytelling in a title. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like. I love it. Yeah. Maybe this one also comes to mind because it's just got numbers in the name, but it's one of those things where, you know, maybe before I saw this movie, I knew that Yuma was the name of a town. Maybe I didn't, Mm -hmm. but like 310 
I don't know if I ever would have thought of that as like, oh, that's a time like a train leaves. It's like, oh, sure. It's an interesting title. It's a unique title. It's a story based title. And it also makes me think of for the longest time, I heard the title of the movie, The Taking of Pelham 123, and didn't know what the fuck that title meant. Mm, it was just like, yeah. those words don't make a title to yeah. me. I don't get <laughs> right. how they right. go together. Right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. But uh, so also a great movie. Yeah. The, I mean, there's other little things about this one. Like I said, I feel like I still like this movie quite a bit. It's got really good performances in it, but there's like little things that chip away for me a little bit over time like that that thing i said about how it almost feels like they had to have an action sequence every x amount of minutes mm-hmm. uh like by con under contract or something yeah for sure but like that whole sequence with luke wilson's character and the the the, mm, the tunneling, dynamite and all that yep, it feels yep. like you could drop that from the movie and it would like not hurt it at all <laughs> yeah i think it only kind of geez i think it only kind of comes up later as he Ben Waits talking to the son. He says it to someone that it's like if he had a gun, he would have killed them all. But right then and there, like, yeah, that's really that's it. So, yeah, I, I kinda... mean, things that come from that scene are uh, the doc played by Alan Tudyk dies. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's like it's like now that I've seen that movie a couple times, it's like I forget that sequence is there. And then as soon as it cuts to. He's riding along that mountain pass in the snow. I'm immediately, it's like, I have forgotten it's there. And all of a sudden my brain comes this realization of, oh yeah, here's 10 minutes we just have to get through before the end. I don't know why, like that, that even sounds weird me saying it, but that's like honestly how I feel about that part. It's not that it's bad or anything. It just, it just like comes out of nowhere and feels like it's unnecessary. I I think you probably just nailed it in that it's 2007. And if you want to make a... Western, it's got to definitely lean into the action. So yeah. it's, there's got to be action beats along even, you know, there's the whole scene where they're going through, they're taking that shortcut and they know they're going to, they could come across, uh, I can't remember if it's Comanches or what, but. Apaches, I think. The Apaches, there's that bit. I mean, there's a couple, you know, uh, Ben Wade, he kills those couple guys out when they're, <laughs> you know, he kills the one, uh. Whatever the guy, that guy actor that plays the blob in Wolverine. Oh, uh, Kevin Durand. Yep, he gets the uh, fork to the neck overnight while he's when he falls yeah. asleep, which was a good scene. I actually when uh, it's kind of brutal. I forgot he forgot it even happens when I was watching it is when um, that one old timer that's bringing him along too says that line about Ben Wade's mom. Yeah, <laughs> Ben Wade throws him off the throws him off the mountain i was like man that's so good well so, talk about brutal uh something i forgot about until it happened this time around was when uh ben foster and the gang catch up to the decoy cart and they fucking oh, wicker man that dude they, he's like locked yeah. in the cart and they set him mm-hmm. on fire mm-hmm. that's pretty brutal <laughs> that's pretty rough yeah which is like a wild plan too if you think about it because like they know the whole point of the decoy is to get for them to catch up to him, and he's like, "Yeah, he was straight up." Yeah, what did he think there. was going to happen? Like, yeah, yeah, seriously. So yeah, there's those bits, and I, I think it plays into just Russell Crowe playing it well to be a. He's not. He's not really an anti-hero. He's still a bad guy, but yeah, you know they're going to show you just to how bad he can be at times. Mm-hmm. So. But yeah, I mean, I still enjoy this one. I feel if anything, it feels like it gets a bit long in the middle, which is probably plays to the adding in scenes to mm-hmm. pad it out a bit but 
Um, certainly, uh, bookends well in my eyes. I think Christian Bale is like really firing all on all cylinders in this one. Like, I believe he lived through the <laughs> Civil War, lost <laughs> a leg down and out, like, yeah, at the end of his rope. Yeah, they're like, both really good. Ben Foster's good. He was like the thing that I loved the most about it the first time I saw it. I think it's awesome that Peter Fonda is in there. Mm-hmm. He's uh, Byron oh, he plays, McElroy. He plays the one that gets thrown off the uh, yeah the mountain. I I think I read that he originally uh, they wanted Chris Christopherson for that role, but I just think it's neat that they got like a dude that's been in like old westerns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's no kind of movie that Peter Fonda hasn't been in. That guy's had a wild <laughs> fucking career, but I think it's cool that he's in there. Yeah, no, he was good in there. Gets shot. What to get shot in the belly, right? Yeah, still, still out there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's funny you mentioned him as the blob in uh, in Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, he's the blob in the one Wolverine movie that James Mangold didn't direct. That's interesting. But uh, <laughs> right. uh, Kevin Durand, who I always think of as like Soldier Boy from season four, I think of Lost, when like the jeez oh, uh, that group of soldiers makes it onto mm-hmm. the island. That because I feel like that was the first place I ever saw him. He was a regular character on um, The Strain, mm. so I know him. I know him a lot from that one too. But he's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, he's also personal friends with Russell Crowe, which is I'm imagining how he ended up oh. in this. He was in Robin Hood with him as well, mm. and I rewatched Robin Hood recently. Like I said, I've been watching a lot of Russell Crowe stuff, and in the uh, special features, they talked about how Russell Crowe recommended him and uh, one of the other like. Um, his like merry men from that movie are like personal friends of his that he got gigs oh, really? in that movie. Yeah. I never saw that Robin Hood. Uh, wasn't a big fan when I saw it in the theater back in like 2010, but rewatching it uh, recently, I liked it quite a bit. Hmm, interesting. I'd recommend it. I think you'd probably dig it. Yeah. Did you uh, come around on uh, Gladiator at all? Or you still don't like that one? I still, I feel like I'm still like less of a fan than everybody else, but I did like it more. I mean, it, it had been. 20 years since I watched it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. like anytime I've talked about this phenomenon before, but anytime, especially doing like a show like this, like if we watch a bunch of movies that have like the same actor or the same director or something, just like the act of doing a marathon and like evaluating the same person or, or situation through like a lot of different movies or whatever. Mm hmm it always gives me like more of an appreciation. Like Russell Crowe, you know, always was fine with him. Had seen some of his movies, not other, not others for whatever reason in my mind, I always pictured him as more of like a, like a tough guy action movie kind of character, maybe because like he's known for gladiator and like I saw him in Robin hood and you know, he's the bad guy, you know, cowboy in this or whatever. But like something that I've really like, I've really come around to like him as a dramatic actor after watching stuff like uh, State of Play and the next three days and rewatching A Beautiful Mind. And so, yeah, I do feel like I have grown more of an appreciation for him. And it's probably made me like some of the movies that I'm rewatching more because I'm yeah. like more into Russell Crowe and in a Russell Crowe zone or whatever. But right. There's actually, looks like a ton of movies of his I've never seen. Um, I mean, one recent one I just watched, thanks to you, is L.A. Confidential. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, spectacular. I mean, that's another one where, like, really good movie, but he does play kind of like the meathead bruiser in it as well, so. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but there's definitely stuff out there like Beautiful Mind is a perfect example where like his dramatic chops are like really good as well. Have you watched um, The Nice Guys? I saw it in the theater. I was like the one person on the planet who wasn't a fan. Uh, (laughs) I bought it on Blu-ray recently because I was like, if I'm watching all these Russell Crowe movies, I have to give that one another chance because I feel like the only person alive who poo-pooed it. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, all the time I see people post, like, rewatch this, love it so much, and I'm just over here like, uh, I'll rewatch it eventually. Jeez, I just watched it for the first time and loved it. Yeah, that's everybody oh except God. for me. Oh, man. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll rewatch it soon enough, I'm sure. Hell, by the uh, time this episode comes out, I may have already rewatched it. There so. you go. I'm running I'm out of Russell Crowe movies over here. Now that I've seen it, I, I feel like I see more and more, like, this is a movie people, like, really up in arms that there aren't more yeah, of. Yeah, they want, like, sequels with, like, the knife, Nice Guys agency or whatever. Yeah, and I'm totally on that train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, so. shit. We'll see. Like I said, I, we'll I plan to rewatch it. Uh, the one final tidbit I have about 310 to Yuma before we move on is that uh, on the very first day of filming, a horse and a rider were injured, and the horse ha- the horse had to be euthanized on set on the spot, and uh, that prompted an investigation from the American Humane Association. So, like day one, oh. they almost shut down the movie. Wow. Yeah. All right. So here you go. Oh. Right. And on a down note, yeah. All right, Dale. Let's, <laughs> all right, try, ready to talk try about to turn the next this one movie? around. <laughs> Uh, coming up in the number three spot, we have Appaloosa from 2008. Mr. Cole, Mr. Hitch, we want our town back, and we are ready to pay your price. What do you allow, Everett? What we do. It is, ain't it? Then you'll do it. Sure. Oh, thank God. Mr. Cole and I will do the gun work, but we're going to button the town up tighter in the nun's corset. We need you to make laws so we can enforce them. We got laws. We're going to have more. We need a lot of laws to make it all legal. Well, sure. I mean, if it seems reasonable, we'll just put them right into the bylaws. No. No. What? basically states that whatever Mr. Cole says is law. This means you'd be running the town. It does. We can't have that. I mean, uh, you're asking us, so to speak, to turn the town over to you. As far as I can see, you can turn it over anyway. Plus a rag. Mr. Raines. Not now, Tilda. Trouble in the bar, Mr. Raines. Tilda. It's Mr. Bragg's men. Oh, Jesus, God. There's four of them. They have guns. Thanks for your signature down at the bottom, gentlemen. Oh, for God's sake, give me that. <laughs> My boy Ed Harris. Love him. Yeah, did you know that he directed this movie? No, no clue. Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting because Kevin Costner directed Open Range, and when I realized that Ed Harris directed this, I was like, man, I should have. it should have been three movies directed, like three westerns directed by the stars. I'm sure there's another one out there, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> off the top of my head, I wouldn't know. Um, yeah. This is one of only two movies, I think, that Ed Harris has directed. He also directed Pollock. Oh, okay. About Jackson Pollock. I've not seen that one. Mm-hmm. Which I have not seen. And this was written by 
Robert Knott and Ed Harris, and uh, the only other thing uh, that Robert Knott had written is something called Devil's Peak, and I don't even know what that is. So okay, all right. Budget of twenty million, box office of twenty seven point seven. Ooh, ouch! I mean, made cheaply. That's pretty good. But... Yeah, this one like Ed Harris, great actor, not like the biggest name in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Viggo Mortensen, great actor. Probably had some heat coming off of uh, Lord of the Rings, although, yeah, I guess the third Lord of the Rings came out in 2000. I was just going to say, when the hell did those movies come out? Uh, 2004, I think, was the third one. I know the first two came out when I was in high school, and the third one came out while I was in college. Okay. So I'm thinking like 2000, probably like summer 2004, something like that would be the third one. So a couple years later, Vigo was probably still getting like some bigger roles. and But honestly, I feel like almost oddly the biggest name in this movie is Renee Zellweger. Oh, I was just going to say 100%. She should. Yeah, she's she's on the poster. But yeah, yeah I'd say she was uh, the most popular one at the time, for sure. Yeah, but going into this, did not know a lot about it. Um, basic idea here is that, once again, there's a town... That's under the thumb of a crooked bastard played by Jeremy Irons. And uh, so they call in help in the form of Ed Harris and Viggo Mortensen. Are they are they marshals? Well, they're like I took them on as they're more like mercenaries who go from to towns and basically convince the towns to take them on as marshals. Yeah, I yeah, they become the city marshal and the deputy marshal, but I'm not sure like if they had any kind of like rank or title on their way no, in. No, I think I think like from the impression I got just watching these is that you know like a town towns decide basically their own rules cuz there was a whole thing Ed Harris is like I I make the rules and it's like yeah. it was up to the town to decide it. So yeah, I think like if you're a marshal, you're deputy deputized by the town. Mm-hmm. So, but they made it seem basically. Was, I think it opens with the voiceover, and they're kind of saying that they've been together for a while and are like hired lawmen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's you're not right. so much like they're not like career cops or something. It's really like they that's just like they're they're like fixers. Kind of, yeah, like they they. They don't rob people, but they just convince other people to pay them to stop robbers. (laughs) So uh, mercenaries, I'm going to stick with that. Okay, that works for me. But yeah, so they get called in to take care of this uh, Randall Bragg character and his gang, played by Jeremy Irons. Renee Zellweger, just out of the blue, happens to show up in town, and she becomes a love interest who throws a wrench in a couple of gears for Ed Harris. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and they end up actually capturing Jeremy Irons, and they he's found guilty in a court of law. And then um, he ends up, you know, there's a double cross, there's a shootout. And in the end, Jeremy Irons' character gets pardoned by the president and comes back to the town, has like a bunch of money. It's not explicitly said where he gets it from. And he's basically like taking over the town out of yeah. spite because Ed Harris, who ran him out, has decided to like set up roots there. Yep. And so there's bad blood. Yeah. By the end, like Bragg's renaming businesses in his name. And yeah. Yeah. He definitely uh, made out at that point. I got to be honest. I think that that angle 
of Bragg coming back and acting like the reformed criminal, but still obviously being a sleazy piece of shit who's, you know, taking over the town and, you know, maybe stealing Ed Harris's girl. I think that that is the most interesting part of the movie, and I wish they had gotten there sooner. Totally. Because that's only like the last, I don't know, 20 minutes of the movie, if that. I was going to say the exact same thing. Because I think uh, all the a lot of the bits in the middle aren't nearly as fascinating as that that no. angle. It's just kind of, you know it's it's a fine western, but it's kind of a run of the mill like you know good guys come in to you know get rid of bad guys, but then mm-hmm. like the movie is just kind of coasting along, and I'm like yeah this is fine, so the performances are good, but it's not like blowing me away. But yeah that concept at the end, and I mean giving Jeremy Irons isn't in the movie a ton, but then in the end him being like this smarmy like upturned nose bad guy like he he goes from being like a literal i'll shoot you bad guy to becoming like a political bad guy and that was Mm -hmm. so much more interesting because it's like kind of like you said um ed harris and vigo mortensen especially ed harris are like old-timey like mercenary guys so they come in to like take out the trash physically but it's like ed harris doesn't know what to do about this bad guy who's like you know taking over the town with money instead of by force. Yeah. And it's just, I don't, I don't know. I feel like that stuff was so much more interesting than the first I, half of the movie. I do agree with you completely. Cause I think, um, having him win like that and then just like a, you know, a grizzled Ed Harris pissed off about how it shook out is a lot more interesting. than. Yeah. I think this is kind of a, for me, a bit of a, it's, it's fine. It's like entertaining. Like you said, good, there's some good shootout action. I mean, the whole thing pops off because Jeremy Irons kills the f- the three marshals from the town originally, mm-hmm. like broad daylight type of deal. But um, yeah, I just didn't. I don't think I found the story that compelling. Besides, like some parts of it, especially that that kind of ending scenario we're talking about. Yeah, but, um, I like Ed Harris. I like Vigo. I'm kind of like here nor there on Renee Zellweger. I didn't necessarily like love her in this, and even her character. It's like. At no time did I really feel completely compelled to think, like, Ed Harris loves her or she loves him. I mean, I think that's kind of the point, is that, you know... For her, definitely. It's Uh, like, he likes the idea of her being, like, this clean, proper woman who can, like, take care of him. And she likes the idea of, you know, being with the alpha male. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's no love between them. Like, I think that that's pretty well stated in the movie and... And I just that just doesn't do anything for me. I mean, they they're selling that, but that just doesn't. I mean, do it's it. it's weird to me that like you know they they set it up like in the beginning it's going to be this like cool good guy versus bad guy thing, but then that stuff kind of flounders. Like I said, Jeremy Irons is not in it that much for being like the main bad guy, and then they spend a lot of time in the movie with the relationship between Ed Harris and Renee Zellweger, and I think it's an interesting angle. For, like, looking at a relationship during this time period, again, I think that's kind of the revisionist Western bent to this one, that, like, you know, Kevin Costner and Annette Bening in Open Range is, like, the diametric opposite of this, where, like, they they meet, they kind of fall in love at first sight, and two days later, he's, like, asking her to marry him. They've never kissed, they've never seen each other naked, they... You know, Mm -hmm. haven't been around one another long enough to know if they are going to drive one another nuts. It's like a storybook 
romance that you just kind of want to see happen because they're likable people. And this, it's trying to take this angle of like, well, you know, she may dress prim and proper and she knows how to play the piano, but like she is, you know, kind of, she's not the most reputable person and she will like sleep around with whoever she thinks can give her like the best living situation, which, you know, for a woman back in that time period, I'm not going to say that everybody did it or whatever, but you kind of understand, like, I believe still during that time period in America, like women couldn't own property. So it's like, I could understand there being this woman who's, you know, she's lost her husband who maybe she did love. And now she's just looking for like the most comfortable life possible. Mm-hmm. And she, so she goes to a town and she just like immediately sets her sights on who can, you know, buy her the best house. And I don't think it's about love as much as it's just about comfort and security. And I think that that's a super interesting angle. It's just this movie is focused on like three different things. Mm -hmm. And that is competing with like the classic Western good guy versus bad guy story. And then two thirds of the way through the movie, it becomes this entirely other thing. And it just, it never felt like super cohesive to me. Yeah. I think I'm with you. Cause even you describing it, like you just did to like, it sounds more entertaining than I feel it's presented in the movie because he they just seem so indifferent to me that, yeah, maybe it needed a lot more screen time or focus on just that to sell it. Yeah, like if it was an entire movie that like wasn't at all an action film, really, and it was just like a kind of revisionist take on a romance, a Western romance, I like I think <laughs> yeah. that could have been a really good movie. Yeah, like a cat and mouse to me, like idea of like our... What are their aspirations or what are their plans for each other and themselves? Yeah. Like, I think that could have been a really successful film and a movie that's more focused on what we talked about in the final act with Jeremy Irons coming back as like this, you know, rich, semi, you know, reformed villain or whatever. Like, that is really interesting, but you get so little of that. I don't know. It's. Yeah. And then, you know. Spoiler alert, but like Vigo settles things in the end. And even then I kind of like, I didn't love that, especially because it's explained in a voiceover. Well, that's something you mentioned the voiceover earlier already. And, you know, we've talked before about how I don't prescribe to that thing that people say that if your movie needs voiceover, then it's poorly written. Like, I don't believe that at all. I Yeah, I wouldn't say that either. But, but I would say that this feels like an instance of they felt like they had to add voiceover in post totally. because it's only at the very beginning and the very end. Yeah, because that, 100%. I'm with you on all aspects because depending on what it is, could love a voiceover. This, it was like a weird bookend and it, fe- it felt like they had to put that in there because otherwise, yeah, it wasn't clear. Like, why did he do that? Yeah. It would have been so much better if they had a conversation telling Ed Harris what he's going to do for him and some kind of argument. I mean, I honestly feel like I got it without the voiceover. Like, it made sense to me that, you know, Ed Harris wasn't going to do anything about this because he's trying to settle down and live there. But Vigo Mortensen was planning on leaving as it is, so he had, like, nothing to lose. It just, to me, yeah, I mean, I don't think it was completely obtuse like that, but... And it's like a bro code thing. Like, he wanted to take care of it for his buddy who couldn't or wouldn't take care of it yeah. for himself, but... But it just, it, it was missing that scene of them 
hashing that out to some point would have been way more dynamic to me. So it was missing that, and then their their idea to quote unquote fix it was just like a lousy voiceover. I was just yeah. not, not into it. Yeah, and then like uh, I was excited when Lance Henriksen shows up, but he doesn't have a whole lot to do. Right. Yep. Even then, they got that one wild shootout, which I actually didn't love, where they bring Bragg to the jail, but it's like the cousin's jail, and mm-hmm. you know they start firing off in the middle of the street into each other, like. Yeah. I mean, that is kind of what I said I thought for a moment that the ending of Open Range was going to be because it happened so yeah. fast, which in reality mm-hmm. is probably how it would happen. Everybody's got a couple sure. rounds in the chamber and yeah, it's just course, like, bang, 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 and we're done. Right. But being a movie, you want some more out of it. And then just see Bragg just like hops onto a horse and takes off. I was just like, yeah, and goes to I... see the president. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So not terrible, but not my favorite for sure. Yeah. Three for three, based on a book. This is based on a yeah. 2005 novel of the same name by Robert B. Parker. Ed Harris read the book, liked it, wanted to do it as a movie. Offered the role of Hitch to Viggo Mortensen because he enjoyed working with him on A History of Violence. Mm-hmm. Production slowed uh, after the studio began to question the viability of a Western in the modern cinematic landscape. And Diane Lane was originally supposed to play Renee Zellweger, but that at, at that point when it seemed like it was going to be paused, she dropped out. And then uh, after the success of 310 to Yuma, they got back on track and decided to do the movie and Renee Zellweger joined the cast. So, I mean, it just must, Russell Crowe and Christian Bale must have got paid a shitload for that movie for it to cost so much. Yeah. I mean, you know, they have to, I did read stuff that I didn't write down, but um, the town in the end uh, that the finale in 310 to Yuma takes place in, they built that entire town. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like a pre-existing Western movie set. And, you know, towards the end of the the chase on the way to the train, when um, uh, Christian Bale and Russell Crowe run through those houses that are like under construction. Yep. Those were not supposed to be under construction, but they literally ran out of budget and couldn't finish those houses. So they were just like, oh, these will be houses that are under construction in the town. Interesting. So, yeah, I'm sure like when it comes to a period piece like this, you know, if they can build one small town like in Appaloosa, that's like budgetarily feasible. But I mean, there's numerous towns in 310 to Yuma and then there's like the set of them building the railroad with the um it like through blasting through the mountains and mm-hmm. there's like three or four different towns in that one and like there's a, there's a lot that goes into that i'm assuming as well whereas this one like i even read that the little train that the one scene takes place on where they're transporting Jeremy Irons and then they have to let him go yeah that's like an actual train that was still uh in service up until like 2017 so like oh, shit. they didn't, it looked like this quaint little old train, but it was an actual train that was in use. So they just had to like rent it and not build it. Okay. All right. So it, like, I'm a, I bet you're right that Christian Bale and Russell Crowe at that time in their careers, especially probably brought in a lot of, or yeah. took a lot of money out of the budget, but. Right. I mean, I don't know, but it's like, they could have been 10 million plus a piece. Yeah. But this one, like Ed Harris, since he was making the movie himself, probably took a pittance as far as like a salary. For sure. And Viggo Mortensen doing it for a friend. I mean, he was just Aragorn, but uh, I still feel like 
even after Lord of the Rings, because he's one of these guys that had been around acting for like a long time since like the eighties, but like I never really knew who he was, and then he becomes you know one of the main characters in Lord of the Rings. It's huge, but he's not one of those guys that I feel like after Lord of the Rings he was in like a ton of big stuff. Like he he was definitely more visible than he had been before Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. but you know it's not like he turned that into a tom cruise style action career or yeah, something for sure yeah totally so like i don't know how much he costs but like i i wouldn't find it hard to believe that renee zellweger had the biggest uh paycheck on the cast potentially yeah because again same. she's like the bigger name i feel yeah i'm right there with you yeah so like appaloosa good not great some like i like things about it more than i like the actual movie <laughs> yeah i'm with you and uh the one other thing about this one is that um the woman who played like the prostitute that uh Vigo had the relationship with in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, they met on the set of this film and they've never gotten married, but they have been a couple ever since. Oh, so they've been like an item or together since like 2007, 2008 oh, because of this movie. Nice. Yeah. No dead horses. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. All right. Good deal. <laughs> so let's talk some posties. Yeah. Uh, are there any winners in this bunch? Um, open range is not a bad design for a poster. I don't feel. No, I don't see it like putting asses in seats. No, I don't think this is the best poster for this particular movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, just with the title and the kind of movie it is, I just would have expected more of like a beautiful scene than. Yeah. Like, none of the movie is this, like, sepia tone. Yeah, harsh, orange. Yeah, like, right. yeah. it feels like whereas the movie is kind of timeless, the poster is not. <laughs> yeah, I'm even just surprised. Much as I wouldn't necessarily want to see it, I'm surprised. Just not a floating head. Big or, Kevin Costner head. Right. Or even Robert Duvall. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I wouldn't put it, wouldn't put it on my wall, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I like it as an image, but I don't know how much I love it as a promotion for this particular movie it's very middle of the road could be worse could be better no place to run no reason to hide that even doesn't really make sense to me like there's plenty of place to run like they could run anytime they wanted they only stuck around out of like pride and determination yeah it's like who's (laughs) who has no place to run who has no reason to hide like yeah yeah. that's an odd one yeah so you know just i don't know weird choices even an odd like is he loading the gun He's just like holding it funny sideways. I guess he's pulling out bullets on his belt. Yeah, that's probably what that's supposed to be. Yeah, just even that's just a... But then like even no matter how much I stare at this, I can't be positive that that is Kevin Costner. Same. <laughs> the way for his sure. head is turned, like that could be generic stand in like, "Oh shit, we can't get Costner for the yeah. day to take the picture for the poster." Oh, just dress someone kind of like him. Yeah, I can't definitely <laughs> can't see anyone you think of all the normies who go in a movie theater and see posters and don't like dig into them to see who's in it or anything like yeah i could see people walking by that all day long but even if they went with this design i just don't know why you wouldn't have like a nice beautiful blue sky and like totally instead of it looks like they're in the fucking post apocalypse here oh yeah <laughs> which uh just the the time you know but. yeah and I also feel like open range, the title, it just feels like it wants to be papyrus to me for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, not great overall. Yeah. Nothing great. 310 to Yuma. 
Speaking of not great. Time waits for no man. This just seems like you're built, you know, made by committee. Yeah. This is how like we're we paid this for movie. these guys. So we're putting their faces on here. Yeah. These guys are popular. And their only attempt at like maybe making putting some artistry into it was making it black and white. But, yeah, you know, which I guess is fine for but me. I mean, black and white with red lettering. I mean, that's. You know, that catches the eye, but this is just your standard, like, this any is another in- intern could have made this. It just looks like the design choices of the era, early yeah, for 2000s. Sure. For sure. I do like Russell Crowe's hat. <laughs> but of course. Yeah, it just, this offers me nothing. I mean, yes, I know who the two people are, are in it, and I can tell from, like, the way they're dressed that it's a Western Time waits for no man. It's like there's, that's not a bad tagline. I feel like this is a Photoshop of just Christian Bale and then someone else's hand and gun. Oh, yeah. Easily, easily could be. That looks off to me. But see, I don't know. There's just like nothing interesting about this poster to me. Yeah. This is, this is Mark, this is Hollywood marketing all day. Yeah. And, uh, Appaloosa, this one with like the the layout, the tight crops on the faces, the fact that it looks so photoshoppy and the color oh. choice. Mm-hmm. This looks like some like directed totally. $5 Blu-ray bin at Walmart piece of garbage. This is like shout out to him, but this is like every Bruce Willis movie from the last like 15 years like yeah this movie totally looks like Ed Harris got paid a million dollars to be in it for 3 days yeah. shooting. I mean, all this, the lens flares, the seemingly chrome lettering, it just doesn't fit at all. Like, Yeah, Renee Zellweger just like Photoshop plopped in the background where she's small yeah. enough that you can't even really see her face. So what was the point? Barely tell it's her. Just an odd way of like uh, their two hats are like crossing over each other. Just feels like an odd, makes odd shapes, you know, just. Yeah, it just, I, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't get it. This rough. Yeah, it's like it's one step away from what they did in 310 to Yuma, where they were just like, take a picture of each guy and like put them in frames. Like mm-hmm. we just want the two of them here. Like they're in the same image together, but it's just so yeah. phony looking. And just the color choice that like grayish, silverish sepia yeah, look. It's just, it's like just washed ugly out junk. Yeah. yeah. Give me give me some life here. And I yeah. wish the movie they presented fit this tagline, feelings get you killed. Because <laughs> what you described, your your description of the movie fits that, but I don't, to me the movie doesn't. But I don't even think it's a great tagline, but still. Yeah. It's an interesting tagline for a different movie, maybe. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. a rough night for posties, Millsy. Break it down for the people. Um... Do I grade on a curve here or not? Because, like I said, open range, like, I think this is a kind of cool poster design, the way it's, like, half in darkness, half not. For a different movie, I think that this could be a really effective poster. There was an attempt here. Yeah. I'll give I'll give it that. I'll give it a, I'll give it a three. I'll give it um, three concussions delivered to Diego Luna by that. Oh bastard uh, okay. ranch hand <laughs> gotcha gotcha okay okay uh 310 to yuma i mean it's 
the thing is, it's not bad in the way that, like, the uh, Hellraiser Bloodline poster was bad. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, it's just completely boring and uninteresting. Yeah, it's not ugly. It's dull to death, though. Yeah. Uh, this one's going to be uh, two stars. Uh, two. It's going to get the two ten to Yuma. <laughs> Uh, shipping this poster off to Yuma prison. <laughs> Spectacular. Whereas the 310 to Yuma one is just like boring. The Appaloosa one, it really does bring to mind just like the dregs of, you know, bullshit Netflix instant, like all that shit that you can find on Amazon Prime once you scroll past the 12 good movies. Totally. You know? This is ugly. It's, yeah, it's just got this gross feel to it um low effort yeah ugly. and just renee zellweger does not look like she exists in no. that photo no. yeah that uh, perspective's all wrong so this one's gonna get uh, uh one one uh bullet to jeremy iron's head <laughs> at the end nice. uh, well played Two two ten to Yuma. Fun fact: the uh, the judge in the courtroom scene in Appaloosa is played by Ed uh, Harris's dad, hmm. and Ed Harris, I feel like, has looked like an old man for so long that I would have been sure his dad was dead by the time this uh, was made yeah. in two thousand eight. But love me some Ed Harris, but yeah, I wouldn't have expected that either. Yeah. All right. So there you go. Three, two, one. By borrow burn. <clears throat> by borrow burn. Um. Want me to go, or would you like to? Um, I'll fire off quickly. I don't think this is going to be surprising. All right, um, shoot from the hip. Um, not a terrible movie, and I'm not necessarily tossing it into the sun, but Appaloosa is my burn. Just uh, not compelling enough for me. Not uh, As I kind of said, I think there's some better ideas presented than not fulfilled. So I'm burning it. Um it comes down to something new with open range, something old and beloved with 310 to Yuma. Um, but I would, uh, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring and say open range is a new favorite for me. Mm. And that is my buy. And as I already own 310 to Yuma, uh, that will still be my borrow. Borrow it from yourself? Mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's a little long that longer than it needs to be um, enjoyable, but um, I find open range to be like my sweet spot for a Western right now. So right on big fan, big fan. There we go. Um, I feel like we do this a lot lately, but I'm right there with you. I'm same lineup. Uh, Appaloosa, I feel like is going to be incredibly forgettable. Like ask me about it in six months and I'm going to be like, yeah, there were people in that. <laughs> like it was it was fine it's passable but uh it's not good it's not bad it just is mm-hmm. so that's going to be my burn 310 to yuma i do still like it a lot i do have like weird little problems like i kind of talked about because i've like seen it so many times and i feel like i'm just like nitpicking it to death but i do still like the movie quite a bit especially the performances so that one's going to be my borrow mainly because like you 
uh, as a first time watch, I was just like really into open range. Oh man, Kurt, big Kurt's going to be so excited. <laughs> like maybe, uh, you know, want to rewatch it, you know, without the excitement of like discovery of not, not knowing where it was going to go, who's going to live, who's going to die. Like you said earlier, like maybe it wouldn't have the same effect, but just going on this one viewing, um, I was very pleasantly surprised and that ending that I had heard about held up. I mean, that was a, that was a solid gunfight oh, at the so end of good. that movie. Yeah, really was. Just so. uh, great presentation all around. Uh, Milsey, <clears throat> I got a random question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you tell your parents about triple threat comings and goings? Like, is triple threat, like, a thing known to them? Uh, they're aware that I do the podcast. and uh... But, like, would you tell your old man, like, oh, I'm watching... Open range for the next episode type of thing? No, probably not. Gotcha. Okay. Well, at least now you can tell him you saw it. (laughs) True. Dig it. Yeah, we have have agreed quite a... We might have a streak going. Yeah, it just feels like more and more as time goes on, we are uh, matching up. Mm -hmm. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Nope. It's going to happen. Well, by all means, let's see if we can break the streak with this next one. (laughs) All right, we have uh, 237 potential themes just waiting for us to disagree about. 237. Milsey, here we go. Milsey. 87, Milsey. 87. Next episode's theme is Mac and Me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now for something completely different. Yep. Uh, Uh, All right. Have seen all these. I have not. Mm. Some I haven't seen. Actually, I all of them I haven't seen in a very long time. <laughs> well, same for the two I have seen. I'm sure you can guess which <laughs> one I have not seen. Uh, we'll discuss afterwards because it honestly could be any of them. Mm. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> all right, all right. I can dig it. So uh, that's interesting. We got 87. Isn't this episode 87? And we just got 87 Whoa. on the random number, Jenny. Look at that. <clears throat> Look at us. So for episode 88, we'll be talking about Mac and me. No further hints. Get your guesses in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, until we find out All what right. that means next episode in three short weeks, my name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. Gonna hang me in the morning before the day is done. Gonna hang me in the morning. Won't ever see the sun. I can't wait to make that my new ringtone. (laughs) That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, 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 happy.